We're doing our Christmas series, and um, I thought I would do one message for each one of the Gospels. And so we started with Mark because uh, we sort of believe that Mark was written first, and it doesn't have a Christmas story. And so we talked about that last week. And uh, today I want to do Matthew, and Matthew um, uh, adds a Christmas story to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to talk about why. Um, but I want to talk about one of the rookie mistakes that we all make. Um, anybody make some classic rookie mistakes in your life? How about your, how about your first job? Anybody just make a big, you know? So one of our classic rookie mistakes that we make reading the Bible is we, we want to take the four stories of the Gospels and we want to smash them all together because, because we're Gentiles. And what we want to do is we want to have this whole thing in an orderly sequence. And it's, it's sort of a, it's a mistake like, uh, like let's say you were a designer and, or you were wanting to design, uh, you know, your living room and you wanted to get a really cool thing. And so you go to a design studio or you go to a designer and you see this particular thing they've laid out and you go, oh, man, just look at that. Just look at the, and I, the pop of color. Right? Am I with the lingo or what? And look at, the, and then and then you go down the hall, and there's a whole new design, and uh, and this one is like uh, minimalist design, you know. And and then you go down the line, and and so instead of taking the design as it is and trying to incorporate it into yours, what you try to do is take a little bit from each design and made yourself a big mess. There you go. There's a couple of guys confessing already, you know. In other words, designer has a particular thing they're trying to do from start to finish. And uh, if you can appreciate a designer, you can, you, can, you can tell they're actually painting a picture to your eye with their style. So the gospel writers are not trying to tell you a biography of Jesus, that's sort of a Gentile way of looking at the scriptures. But they're trying to paint a portrait for you. They're trying to design something for you. And so if you're going minimalist, you can't mash up a bunch of traditionalists. And if you're going with a certain color palette, you can't just drop this in because you saw it somewhere and it looked cool. Because it looked cool somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to fit in this particular design. So if you'll permit me, just think about this. Take each gospel in its own slice and and appreciate the picture that that particular gospel writer is trying to portray. Today, we turn to Matthew's portrait of Christ. Now, Matthew starts, to you and I, let's be brutally honest, if you've ever opened it, I actually have my copy opened here, in the most unappealing way for you or I. Let me read you a slice. Um, you might want to get yourself comfortable because you'll be sleeping by the fourth verse. All right? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Benadab. Are you with me? You, you, is, it, is it juicing you? In other words, it's not, and there's a reason that it's not. Let me just start here. This is really important. Because you're Gentile. At least 
95% of you, I know a few brothers and sisters we have out there that are Jewish, but you are, if you're Jewish, you're not first century Jewish. So you, the first thing you have to say is, why in the world would you start a portrait in such a God-awful way? Unless, in those days, it was not God-awful, but it was setting this beautiful backdrop. If you were to make a a painting. My mom's a painter, and so the first thing she does is she put all the canvas, and and then she'll prep the canvas. And if you could say this is this is just prepping the canvas to get ready for the portrait to begin. In fact, if you were Jewish, these names wouldn't be meaningless at all. They'd be gripping, as if you were trying to raise a young young boy in a basketball world in Flint, Michigan, and you started his genealogy to say, the record of the genealogy of young stud basketball player from Flint. Right? And you started with Wilt Chamberlain, the father of Bill Russell, the father of Dr. J, the father of Kareem Abdul, the father of Larry Bird, the father of Magic Johnson, throw Kurt Rambis in there. I got one chuckle for Kurt Rambis. Some of you need to. Magic Johnson, the father of the bad boys, all of them. The father of Michael Jordan, the father of Charles Barkley, the father of Kobe, the father of Shaquille, the father of LeBron, the father of Steph and KD. All of a sudden, your eyes are like, boy, that's going to be one heck of a basketball player. These names... All I'm trying to say were unbelievably common to the first century ears. So the first thing you have to understand is this is not some random throwaway thing in their, in their day. But they're listening intently. Just as I read stories, and if you're a basketball fan, you can think, you, you still can visualize Dr. J, one-handed, coming under the hoop. I know you can. Like reaching around and throwing it in from the other side. You can visualize Michael Jordan hitting one three after another after another and turned to the camera like this. Like, I can't help it. I can't even help it. I'm so good. You have these visions, and they had visions because they grew up on these stories. These stories were powerful in their generation and in their time. And so there was a message that Matthew was putting in this background that he wanted all of us to get. I think first century people, he was trying to give them a particular message. When this gospel was written, what we believe and what we sort of know is the, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so their major center had been wiped out. Um, it would have been 9-11, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to 9-11 or anyone that lost anything there. It was tragic and horrible. It was for our culture. Just permit me, it was 9-11 times 100. They took everything down, and they destroyed everyone. The records vary as to how many people were killed and murdered and raped and pillaged, but they ruined everything. And the, they, the, the Romans came in 
to send a message to the Jews, and their intent was to make sure they knew that they would never, ever, 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 ever worship here again. And so not only did they tear down their temple, they killed all the priests that they could find, every related family member, so no one could trace any lineage to claim any right to worship. So you had people that were lost. Now what we believe is Matthew's gospel is written to a town, in a town called Syrian Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. I visited there. It's called Antakya these days. Today, there are 17 Jews who live in Antakya. There were 18. It's down to 17. In those days, it was a heavy Jewish population, and there were synagogues there, and people fled from Jerusalem to that area. And so you can imagine the first century, this list being read to those people. I remember, still to this day, the sermon that I preached on 9-12, the day after 9-11, in a parking lot of the Old Orchard Theater. So in the parking lot, people gathered in chairs. Isn't it funny how people started going to church after 9-11? It was a Wednesday night. No one goes to church on Wednesday night. And the parking lot is filling up with people. We happened to have a flood in the theater on 9-11 as well, so we couldn't worship inside. Didn't dissuade anybody. They said, no problem, we'll just sit in the parking lot. You remember those things. These people remembered hearing this list after all of their hope had been destroyed. They needed some kind of hope. Are you with me? They needed to know that their story was going somewhere, that their lives mattered, that all was not lost. They needed to know they were special. And they needed to know they were strong. This list, if you go through it, tells them a couple of things. First of all, they're special. And second of all, they're strong. And when you think about it, isn't that what you want every child to know? Every young boy coming up and every young girl, that they're special and that they're strong? We were sitting at Grandma's last night, and uh, everybody wants to know, what are you going to name your daughter? And so I tell the family, we haven't decided. And uh, you know how people are. They can't help it. Got to throw a few names out there. I don't have to take this, but, you know. And then we're talking about names, and my grandma confesses. I never heard this in my entire life. We're sitting there talking about names and how people got their names and all the names in the family. And my grandma goes, you know... When your mom and dad came and said, Christopher, I thought, what? What kind of a name is that? And she goes, but I got used to it. (laughs) My grandma devastated me last night. We think about names and they mean something. And this list of names is an interesting list. Because there weren't just strong people in there. There were flawed people in there. Deeply flawed people. In fact, it's sort of like they they would have popped out. Five women, 
all Gentile? Now, why would you do that? Why would Matthew go... By the way, if there's a whole other genealogy in the Gospel of Luke, and it's completely different. Well, not completely, but drastically different, I'd say. So Matthew's telling a particular story and how he's lining this up. What story is he trying to tell? Why the women and why the Gentiles? One of the things is, I think they were struggling to know whether or not they really had a pure heritage anymore. I think Matthew's gospel is saying, you know, none of us are pure anyway. The new rage now is, isn't it 23 and me or what are the new things and you can get yourself tested and figure out what you are and all these people are th- learning they're not what they thought they were. And then other thing people are learning is they're not as pure of anything. None of us are anything. All of us are a little mixed up. All of us are a little mixed in. We're all one family, just varying degrees of something else. There were no pure. It, this list just throws purity out the window. By the way, have you ever looked up the uh, purity standards for food in America? They're a little alarming. In other words, what you, whatever you think is pure, the, there's a, the, the Food and Drug Administration has a standard, and it's not 100%. It's close enough. This won't kill you. Do you know that it's okay that your life is good enough? That your life isn't perfect? Your family isn't perfect? Lineage, it's the line. It's the line that leads to Christ. And no one has a perfect line. But you know one of the things I've learned? All of us are concerned about lines. We're concerned about like the line behind us, and we're concerned about the line in front of us. Who here loves a good line? Nobody, right? In other words, we, we, don't, we, we don't like standing in line. We don't like standing in line at the grocery store. First thing you do when you get in the grocery store is you do like this. Anybody? Does anybody just get there and say, you know, this is where the Lord's put me. Hell or high water, I'm sticking with. Agnes here in number six. No, what do you do? You get there, your head's on a swivel. No, I know there's something better. I know there's something better. Who's always looking for a better line? Same exact thing that you do when you get on the freeway. You're in this lane. What do you do? There's got to be a better lane. I know there's a better lane. This is ridiculous. These people in this lane do not know how to drive. I'm going to get in a better lane. This line is horrible. My life, I'm going to die in this line right here. I'm not going to get anywhere. So we shift, and then we shift, and then we shift. And while that's true in traffic, grocery stores, it's also true in life, right? People get in a job, and they go, I'm in the wrong line. I know I'm in the wrong line. Or you get into school, I know I'm studying the wrong thing. I know it's the wrong thing. I, I should be doing this. If you have these conversations over and over again, if you have kids that age, they have this conversation, I'm, I, sh- I, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I got an answer for you. Ready? You aren't. <laughs> right? But ready? But who is? 
Can I just do a de-stressor for everybody in the room? Just a de-stressor? Nobody's in the right line. Nobody's lined up perfectly. Everybody's shifted lanes five, six, seven, twenty-eight times. Are you with me? And how much stress and effort do we put into? I got to get in the right subject. I got to get in the right school. I got to get in the right line. I got to get the right teacher. Listen, listen, look here, listen. You aren't and you never will. The line that you're in is the line that you're in and that line is good enough. It's good enough for you to become the person that God wants you to become. It's good enough for you to make the contribution that God wants you to make. You can take the stress. I'm not throwing you out if you change the subjects. I'm just acknowledging that that's what everybody does. Everybody changes subjects, everybody changes lanes, everybody changes jobs, everybody changes goals, everybody changes destiny. It's just part of life. And the thing that would help us all, we could all just relax. Say, why do I need to feel like I'm in the perfect line? This is the one, right? Like if I get the right school and I pick the right subjects and I get the right, the, everything's going to work out exactly right. Because if you've lived long enough, you just know that's just not true. There is no perfect line. As soon as you take your cart, are you with me? Do you already know where this story's going? And you go from line six to line eight, because it's smoking down there in line eight. What goes in line eight? Click, the light goes off. <laughs> Has this happened to you? I'm over here. Now, you can't turn the light if I just got... I'm sorry, sir. We're done. You can go back to line six. I'm not going to line six. I moved all my groceries to line eight because this line's smoking. Because I'm sorry. I'm done for the night. You're a little mad. You're upset. And you go back there. And you go back to six. And what's happened? Like six people just jammed their carts right in front of you. Now you went... Is anybody... So you keep... Ship. This is going to be the perfect... Because... Us trying to find the right line is us trying to find the right life. And it's an endless carousel of shifting from this to this. Nope, if I just had this. No, if I just had this job. No, if I just lived here. This, ready? This lineup is a royal wreck. I just dare you to read it. There's some unbelievably heroic people in there. There's some persevering people. There's some strong people there. There's some called people there. There's some ugly people in there. There's some stuff you just want to kind of... In other words, why did Matthew take a highlighter to what most of us would have did a smudge out? A prostitute, right? Incest. On and on and on. You just think, I, I, I just probably would kind of hide that from the family. Matthew says, this is part of the story. And God can take something, this is really important, that people would say, there's no way, there's no way, there's no chance, there's no hope. And God can take that. I think the message sort of translates from the first century to today, don't you? That you can look at your line, your family, your lineage, your chance, the opportunity, whatever. Remember when, the, when Matthew comes along and they say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. You don't, 
you can't get a person in the perfect position because the perfect position doesn't exist. And hey, I'm all for trying to get yourself a good education and a good job and all that, but do a little bit of research in case you have one kid in the family that just doesn't care. Or three. I don't care. I don't care about that school. I don't care about that job. I don't care about that line. I don't want to be in that line. And do yourself a little bit of research and you will find successful people in all walks of life that come from all different backgrounds, have all different levels of education or no education. And yet they made their mark in the world. Matthew has a theme and in the first chapter he lays out his theme he says we'll call him Emmanuel which means God is with us he's with us these are a bunch of people who feel like God wasn't with them and so Matthew is trying to say God is with you and I think this is powerful because I think when you know God's with you it gives you two things that everybody needs in life comfort and courage Two things everyone needs in life, comfort and courage. Everybody needs comfort when things aren't going well, when life isn't working out, when you're alone, when you're broken, when you're rejected, when you're down, when you're out. As many of these people felt, they needed comfort. I remember vividly standing in the parking lot on Orchard Lake Road, outside of the old Orchard Theater, because not only had 9-11 happened in New York City and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania, but we had a flood that completely wiped out the theater that we met in to have our worship services. And I remember standing there because people on 9-12 needed a message of comfort. They needed to know that it was going to be okay. So much so they'd be willing to sit in a parking lot and have church to do it. When your life's turned upside down, the one thing that you need is you need comfort. Matthew is trying to paint this picture of Christ that he came to bring us comfort. So I want to just tell you Don't worry anymore that you've made the right choice. I'm not saying they're good and bad. I'm not saying that. But we stress about making, we'll call it the perfect choice. This college or this college or this job or this job or this or that. And you go over it and over it and over it again because we're trying to make the perfect choice. And here's what I just want to say. Just relax because there is no perfect choice And the lane that you're in is good. I don't fault you for changing now and then, but don't worry about it anymore. Life is twists and turns and frustrations and failures. I think when they read this list, because they knew these people, because they weren't distant random names, if it was a baseball name, they would have had Babe Ruth in there. And they would have had Charlie Hustle in there too with his gambling scandal. Uh, Not enough baseball fans here to get the references. 
Hmm? Sure, they would have had Ichiro in there, but they would have had Maguire in there too. And there'd be this little question mark. How much did he use? In other words, this wasn't a flawless list. And your life and your list isn't flawless either. And I think what would happen is, is, is they went through this. What we have the indication is, is that they would read through this as a year progressed. And so there was one particular Sabbath where they read this thing. And so everybody would listen and they would think about the stories. As soon as I say some of these names, things come to your mind. Barry Bonds. And the guy could crush, but then you think, man, did he get big over the years? And a little question mark. And as they would hear these names, they would think of their own life, the twists, the turns, the highs, the lows, the frustration, the failure, the comeback, the glory, the grit, the guts, the whole thing. It would end with Christ. And so it would end with hope. It would end good. And they'd say, you know, through all the grit and the grime and the guts, my story has a good ending too. I think Matthew's unattractive introduction, the more that you meditate on it, is the most unbelievable story because it's a story of every single person in this room. It's a story of every person that's watching online. It's my story. That's your story, isn't it? Not just your family, but you. Matthew wanted us to know that there was hope and that God, through all of that, would be with us. Do you know how Matthew ends his gospel, by the way? And I will be with you always even to the end of the age, a masterpiece. The story Matthew tells has something for every person. And as he summarizes his story, he says there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to to the exile. And some of you would think, well, this is just, they're just words on a page. Oh, no, no, no. Abraham's the beginning. David's the pinnacle. David's the, the bad boy era. David's when the wings had a good team. <laughs> David's when we had Iserman, right? And then to the exile. So he shows the beginning. He shows the pinnacle. Then he shows the bottom. Look, you're, you, you will never get it if you don't get the whole story of your life. You'll never get it if you, get, you don't get the whole story that there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. And through the highs and through the lows, God is still what? He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. You will feel God. You will know God in a different way you did during the David era of your life, Right? When you had all your hair and all your abs, huh? 
You'll know God in a different way when you're at the exile era of your life. When you feel like you've lost it all. And then you'll know God differently when you rebound. That's the journey of life. What, what Matthew did in such a brilliant way is he showed us how the, the lineage that led to Christ is the line that each one of us is in and that the line that you're in is not perfect, but it's beautiful. How much, honestly, stress have you put yourself under from constantly trying to find a better line? I did the unthinkable yesterday. I was driving to Grandma's. I'm on 275. I need to get on 14. And the traffic just stops in the right lane. I need to be in the right lane. Normally, what I would do, I would go in the left lane, find some poor unsuspecting soul not paying attention, leave a gap. And God knows why. I just decided to stay there, just to sit, to calm myself down and just wait. It was unthinkable for me when I did it. But can you... Can you remember the times in your life where you constantly were shifting and that you got over to this lane and by the time because you're sitting there and you're stuck and you're just cruising in the left they're cruising i can't do this anymore i have so you get over there and by the time you get there what happens and does anybody like me you mark cars like the one semi with the thing i mean no like if you've been in a long battle you're like am i making progress or losing progress Some of you have the same disease that I do, right? And you realize in the shifting, I'm losing progress. You know, maybe, maybe we could be content and say, this is a good line. It's not perfect, my past isn't perfect. My family's not perfect. I'm from Flint. I'm not sure if it was the number one school in America. <laughs> oh my God. You went to a school and it wasn't the number one in America? It wasn't even in the top four in Flint, brothers and sisters. <laughs> what did we learn? How to run, how to fight, how to stay alive. The three R's. You're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. What brought you here isn't perfect. But the line that you're in is good. I'm going to close with this because Matthew introduced... I I ran out of time. There's so much more to tell in Matthew's Christmas story. But Matthew is the one that introduces the star, you know. The star. Because in those days, people believed that your life was kind of connected to a star. That's just what people believed. That, that, that God was like above this dome and that like he like turned on a light when you were born and then you kind of, and it told you a lot. So um, this had a lot of particular meaning in those days when people had a certain view of how the universe worked. Um, but you know, we get our, our word disaster from being disstarred from being separated from your star, right? 
And I think there's an enduring message, maybe not the originally intended one, but the enduring message for us, and it's this. We know that there's not really a star for us, but maybe there is a guiding star, right? Maybe there is a deeper wisdom. Maybe there's something that we know when we're on course and when we aren't. And when we get separated from that, that's what invites disaster in our life. What I'm trying to say is, I don't think the star is here, but I think there's one here. As God's given us his spirit to guide us. And no doubt, there are times to change lanes. But, you know, maybe if you hear that still, quiet, small voice, you don't have to operate in fear and panic and counting cars and finding out where you are in line. But a whole different thing would come over you. And you say, I can just trust that God will get me where I need to go. Take the stress off. You're in a good spot. Not a perfect one. You're in a good line. And God is going to get you where you need to go. Just trust. Because really, think about it. If faith has any real practical thing in your life, this is what it would turn into. Faith would turn into a stress reducer. Because faith is trust. And trust takes stress away because you're saying, I'm in good hands, I'm in a good line, things are going to be just fine. So as we enter the Christmas season, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just trust.